Hello and welcome back to Jesuit Balcony Conversations. This is Patrick and I'm joined by Billy Myers. It's a chilly September morning here in Detroit. Burr. Ooh, yeah. It's cold out here. It, uh, it reminds me of that Green Day song. You know how, how it goes? Do you remember? Not at all. No, no, no. Oh, okay. That's that's Earth, that's Wind, September. and Fire. Nope. That's that's it. That is September. Yeah. Very different song. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that after the show. All right. Uh, <laughs> we... We really want to thank you, um, the listener, for staying with us and listening to our first episode, our trailer, and providing feedback. We sincerely mm-hmm. appreciate your kind words and constructive criticism. This podcast that Billy and I started, uh, it's a journey, and there's a lot of improvement to be made, but with your input, it's cheesy, and people say it all the time on podcasts, on radio, on media, etc. But with us, especially, um, our content can be better, and our message can be better with your input. So, with that, we thank you so much. Um, I want to transition to giving you guys an update on our hashtag that we put out last week: hashtag JBC Heart to Heart. Billy has. Yeah, we want to give a, a quick suggestion. shout out to Nicole. Thank you, Nicole, for responding to us on Instagram. And uh, and uh, Nicole really thanked us for being vulnerable as we shared about our experience and also thanked us for using the hashtag JBC Heart to Heart. And uh, something Nicole said is, you know, Heart to Heart are also known as Deep, True, and Reels. And mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. So, Patrick, have you, mm-hmm. ever, have you ever heard of Deep, True, and Reels? I haven't heard of Deep. True and real. I think it's really along the lines of heart to heart. You know, how can we have these authentic? How can we have these real conversations together? And like you said, including our listeners in the conversations. How can we all have these conversations together? So, yeah, really appreciated that feedback. Yeah, we're looking for some more interaction and some more comments moving forward. Yeah, continue to use the hashtag, guys. If you, if there is something that you want to bring up or a conversation that is along those lines that you've had a heart-to-heart experience. We want to continue to touch on those hashtags as we move forward. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I speak for both of us when I say that we understand the importance of being vulnerable and moving forward, uh, we want to share a part of ourselves in each episode. So yeah. So we are going to transition to one of our segments. It's a new segment this week. A new segment. It's exciting. Gosh. What's it called, Patrick? Uh... Uh, last time I checked, it was called Finding God in All Things. <laughs> Is that still, still what we're calling it? Yep. All right. Finding God in All Things. Finding God in All Things. So just to catch you, listener, up to speed on what this segment is, uh, each each podcast episode, Billy and I will grab one or two news, source, news articles, um, and we are going to try to give you a little brief explanation of what the story is and give us uh, our input on how is God present in this story. So Billy and I each found two articles um, and we are just going to flip-flop on what stories we've found. So uh, a story that I've been working on and following pretty closely as well as interacting with at my work um, has revolved around this uh, GM strike in Detroit. So the United Auto Workers uh, went on a nationwide strike at General Motors assembly plants beginning midnight Sunday, September 15th. Since that day, uh, over 45,000 
workers have been picketing outside a number of plants. And these plants include Detroit Hamtramck plant in Detroit, Michigan, the Parma Metal Fabrication Division in Parma, Ohio, and the Spring Hill plant in uh, Murray County, Tennessee. So this is the most recent protest since 2007, shortly before GM went bankrupt, obviously, and the Great Depression happened. And discussions between the United Auto Workers and GM have been ongoing for about two months now. The vice president for the auto workers, Terry Dietz, represented the union by advocating for fair wages, affordable health care, and job security and mobility. And this past Sunday, September 22nd, the president of the auto workers union, Gary Jones, asked citizens to participate with those picketing and what he coined as Solidarity Sunday. Really exciting and kind of what I thought was, uh, how do we find God here in this story? Um, this sparked, again, like I said, national attention. And Democratic president, presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren attended the picketing outside of the Detroit Hamtramck plant. Um, she was standing in solidarity with the auto workers, and most of these workers work in the assembly plant, so they do a lot of the um, kind of manufacturing and um, assembly line work. And she was just being in solidarity with them and saying, um, our middle class was founded by unions, um, and that American, all Americans should be able to live on the jobs that they have. So I just really resonated with that, that message. And yeah, so that's how, that was one of my stories this week. Billy, yeah. would you like to Thank you, Patrick. So story? where did you find God in that story? So I just found God with kind of what Elizabeth Warren was talking about and how her presence that Sunday, just her message of, you know, one, like when we're talking about economic stability and we talk about living in this country, there's millions of people who have to work two or three jobs just to get by and just to pay bills and with things like one of the um, agendas that the United Auto Workers is working towards, the union, um, is to promote uh, affordable health care. Mm-hmm. Health care is a huge expense, and that's what really sucks the life out of those who are on the fringes of low to middle class. So providing better health care and providing um, also job access. A lot of these workers are temporary employees or they don't have that security of a permanent full-time position. So both of those things um, that Elizabeth Warren was preaching and just being there um, were things that I found um, God in. Yeah, and that's really great. And among all of that you talked about, it was Solidarity Sunday, standing in solidarity among those who are there to strike for that. And I think that's really important. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, What I would like to talk about is there's so much going on right now surrounding issues with the climate. So last Friday, September 20th, was uh, the global climate strike, which happened in cities across the country and cities across the world. It was this worldwide climate change protest that were meant to bring attention to the UN summit, which started on this past Monday, uh, the 23rd. And so one big question that people are thinking and people like, were, who are outside of the issue are asking is like, well, why are people protesting about mm-hmm. this? And so really it's like 
to demand to demand more action on climate change that more gets done mm-hmm. and you know one of the the jesuits have four preferences for what they uh would like to do and one of those is caring for our common home mm-hmm. and in thinking about how where do i find god in this is really how do we care for our common home and how can more be done around the issue of climate change so that's why we that's why we protested was to bring attention to that and uh, something for me, I was there at the climate strike, and I was there with a few students from University of Detroit Mercy, and just being there and being among so many youth, it was really powerful to see the youth engaged and to, to really listen to the youth, to hear what young people have to say, because it's all of our future, but mm-hmm. young people are going to be here the longest, right? So how do we listen to them? How do we learn from them the most? And then... Uh, so that led up to this weekend, what many people don't know, is there was a youth climate summit before the climate summit. So Saturday and Sunday, uh, Greta Thunberg, who has been leading this charge along with many youth activists, she's not yeah. the only one, yeah. there's many young climate activists. There were some from Kenya, from Fiji, from Argentina. They all spoke around this issue on Saturday and Sunday. <clears throat> and then on Monday, uh, obviously began the UN summit. So uh, in kind of seeing the news and researching about this, there's not a whole lot of news coverage around the event, which seems a little bit, uh, you know, we're, I feel that we're not paying enough attention to this, to mm-hmm. what's going on. And But what I have found from what's happened so far out of the UN summit is a lot of it is kind of, many people are disappointed at what's happening with these world leaders gathering. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more talking than action happening. And But especially from the big countries, right? So China... The United States and India are the three world's largest greenhouse gas emitting countries. And none of the three countries really made big, aggressive like promises around how they're going to reduce their carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. And people were hoping coming into this that, you know, maybe one of those three countries would kind of be an example. that They would kind of set the stage, but that didn't happen. So that is what's really disappointing coming out of this. Mm-hmm. But something that... Uh, is positive, something to look at, is that more than 50 countries said that they will reduce their net carbon footprint to zero by 2050. And these are countries that make up only 11% of uh, global emissions. So, you know, these countries are making this commitment, but they're not going to make the most change. And one other thing that I wanted to note was that these countries are the countries that are most affected. They're island nations, and they're the nations that are most affected by climate change. So I wonder how, you know, even though the United States isn't as directly as affected right now as some of these other countries, mm-hmm. and like how can we still, you know, how can we still, how can we do more? Like why aren't we on the front edge of this, you know? So that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Uh, a lot of inf- information, a lot of just activism, especially from young people like Greta, mm-hmm. um, who have been just passionately so involved in this and i saw a little bit of i think she was at the un yeah she spoke in front of the un yeah and she just was like i'm not supposed to be here i'm supposed to be in school and she was just she sounded angry Mm -hmm. and i i i appreciate her emotion and i appreciate the urgency of that um because it's not i think when we talk about environmental sustainability and climate change it's not just about like saving the polar bears. It's not about just saving the North Pole and like the Antarctic. Um, personally, like I've the place where I work at at Urban Neighborhood Initiatives, 
we do a lot of work with our green spaces and there's a lot of vacant lots in Detroit. Um, and specifically in the neighborhood that we work with, we do a lot of beautification work. We get the volunteers involved. And we talk about why it is that we are cleaning up these plots of land. It's not just for the practical, like we don't want to see like tires and the vacant lots. Like we don't want to see, you know, trash and this and that, but it's about providing these spaces like as a sanctuary mm. for residents and for visitors and for our youth to come and find a safe place for them to play and be a community. So we've built a park right across from our main hub. We have are building a bird habitat now a couple blocks north on our one of the vacant plots that we own. So it's also about there's a lot of good nurturing that comes from preserving our environment on top of you know saving our species so that's really beautiful and personally i see god in what you're describing Mm -hmm. this nurturing this you know of all of our land and how do we use it in ways that can flourish among the community and i see god in that and i see god along with these young people that are really stepping up and you know it's not only greta so thousands of young people across the world skip school on friday to be a part of this to be a part of this climate change this action And I really see God in all of this. You know, I really see hope in what's happening right now. Even though leaders, world leaders, aren't doing as much as they should, in my opinion, I see hope in the young people of the world. So, Patrick, what's next? I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for this next story. Uh, Guys, real groundbreaking research um, and (laughs) revelations this happened this past weekend. Um, Individuals from all over the world made an extraterrestrial adventure. <laughs> so if you don't know what I'm talking about, a uh, college student, Maddie Roberts, created a Facebook event called, quote, Storm Area 51. They can't stop us all. <laughs> um, so he created this event in June, July, I believe, um, inspired by a podcast he listened to. And he got over 2 million people to be of interest or to say that they are going to this event. So record numbers of people who are interested. This was intended to be like a joke, and it's just kind of like, all right, let's just like storm the alien base or whatnot. Um, so the actual day of event um, was scheduled for September 20th. That's the climate strike same as the climate strike so that you had to really took, pick and choose what would you rather do what would you rather? strike for the climate or storm <laughs> and like area all 51? over social media it's like there's two types of people in this world there's those that storm area 51 and then there's those that are on the front ends of climate climate change and so anyway so there was of the two million people that signed up only 75 showed up at the front gates um but the reason I bring this up and the reason why I wanted to touch on this story uh, was there was just a lot of positivity and a lot of com- communal experiences that were shared at this event. Um, all over social media, there was just people from all over the parts of the country, from Canada, from Australia, and they were there um, to just kind of enjoy just being together, enjoy like... Um, making this experience um, just a communal communal experience. Um, there were festivals and music events happening around the base. So at Rachel, Nevada, there was like over 3,000 people who attended 
uh, an event there. Um, but I just wanted to share that with you because I was excited and it was just a good good energy and a really fun event for those people and for people on social media. So. The last item of news that we're going to bring up is right here in Detroit. We There's this uh, thing that's been going on for five years in Detroit called Mob Mass. And what they do is they pick a different church in Detroit to kind of descend on. And the, what this effort is for is to breathe life into these beautiful historic churches in Detroit. And it's been going on for five years. And the reason I bring it up is because recently almost 700 people were at St. Anne's, a church in Detroit. And it's just, I see God in this really clearly because it's just this beautiful you know, community. You're just talking about community with the Area 51. Okay. But I see this beautiful community kind of, of, you know, you get to meet new people. People from all over Detroit show up to different parishes. You get yeah. to see a new parish, meet new people, find out about different things. And, you know, a big part of it is just how beautiful these churches are, yeah. just experiencing new things. And I just wanted to bring up that uh, this is kind of happening frequently. So the next mm -hmm. one is on October 20th at 10 a.m. at St. Francis de Assisi. So if this is something that interests you, maybe it interests the two of us. Who yeah. knows? Maybe yeah. you could meet us live in it person. It sounds really great. But so, yeah, if yeah. you're in the Detroit area, if that interests you, I think... We'll be there. Yeah. We might be there. Like we I might be said. there. Yeah. That's so right. I think it could be... It's a really great... I think it would be a really great experience. So yeah. that I really see God in all the people that show up to that event. Yeah. Well, that's that story leads us into the theme and what... We want to ground our discussion today. Um, the theme, so part of this segment that we are leading into um, is we're going to have much more time to talk about a particular theme that either Billy and I are really intrigued with. Maybe it's a mutual agreement. Um, but when we are brainstorming themes for this week, I wanted to touch on this in particular just because of our title and because of the relevance of today and relevance particularly with people our age. So today we'll be talking about in youth engagement and youth participation within the Catholic Church. So I want to begin this conversation by talking about how is the church portrayed today and what are some of the attributes that we are seeing in the media where what are the things that are talked about today with um, with our friends and with our classmates etc about the church today so Billy if you if you want to share your input that'd be great yeah so how is the church portrayed today I think that there's a lot of things that people see from outside of the church, you know, uh, and there's different things that people see inside of the church. And so I think there's a lot of things that are in the news and that we, there's a lot of things that in the news that maybe the Catholic Church in a lot of ways gets a bad rep. Mm -hmm. And I know you're going to talk about this in a little bit, but mm -hmm. more recently, uh, the sex abuse scandal within the Catholic Church. Yeah. And... Uh, also, just thinking about our overall, how we, our overall mindset and our mind frame within the larger church and how we think about uh, just how the church can be homophobic at times and how the church mm -hmm. deals with uh, women in the church, how maybe there's like some sexist attitudes and how we deal with race. 
and how all these things kind of come together. And so I think we're talking about how do we engage the youth. I think a lot of times when people are thinking about being engaged, and I think a lot of times people fall out of their faith in high school or in college. And I think a lot of that happens because, you know, the church doesn't always speak to the youth. They don't always speak to the issues that really matter for young people. And, you know, the, is- the issues that matter are how can we be on the front lines of some of these things? How can we be speaking out against uh, racist rhetoric within the mm-hmm. church? Mm-hmm. And what's really important for me is, like, how can we have these conversations, these really hard conversations within our framework as believers? And I think that that's something that is really important to me. And I always root myself in the Catholic social teachings, yeah. that every human has dignity. Yeah. And when you think about that, you think that, you know, I mean, every human has dignity. Women have dignity. People of color have dignity. Uh, homosexuals have dignity. And how do, we, how do we begin to respect and understand differently maybe some of the teachings of the church? And I think it's really hard, but... Yeah, so just all of that, I think, makes it really hard for, sometimes for the youth, for for me, for the youth to be engaged in the church. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> I tell, I feel like it's like if I'm talking with a lot, of, some of my friends aren't religious and they aren't affiliated with the church. And I tell them about my faith and I tell them about my practices in Catholicism and there, and a lot of times they question, they're like, why are you joining this? Like, we see this on the news. We see all these scandals. We see mm-hmm. all of this corruption in, in the Vatican. Like, how, how do you associate with yourself with that? And, and it's like, it's, it's a process for me. Um, I just navigating that. And I think it's really hard to, you know, recruit and to be like, to draw the youth in now. So part of what we want to do, part of what we want to talk about today is how do we want to understand kind of what, a little bit what's going on and how do we want to move forward and how do we want to attract and renew in a sense of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that framework because I think it's really important for us to understand who we are and where we've been to really understand where we can go, right? I mean, the past is a part of us. And I think maybe there's some people that just want to move forward and that, you know, we have to recognize what's been done and, you know, how do we right some of those wrongs? I think, you know, that's a big conversation that's happening today. Yeah. So So I want to give, touching on understanding the context, understanding the backstory of a little bit of the headlines that have been surrounding the Catholic Church. Um, I did my senior thesis at Gonzaga on the clerical sex abuse scandal that first broke wave and broke uh, the headlines in the early 2000s. So I'm going to share with you just a brief history of some of the major headlines and stories that um, snowballed to be how we are now seeing the church and seeing a lot of the leaders be held accountable or lack thereof. So, so beginning, the Boston Globe's investigative news team, the Spotlight, um, broke their first story regarding clerical sex abuse. And when I say clerical, um, cleric is just another term used to describe priests. Um, so that is who I'm referring to. So the Spotlight news story broke out in 1992. 
and the report detailed a Fall River priest. Fall River is a city in Massachusetts um, of priest James Porter, who abused a hundred boys and girls at, parish at parishes um, in various parts of Fall River during the 1960s. So this story caught on locally in the early 1990s. And in response to this story that broke out, this initial story, um, Cardinal Bernard Law, um, the head of not only the Archdiocese of Boston, but also a Vatican official, he caught wave of this and recognized the, the importance and the substance of the story and what it could be. So he criticized... Um, in the media and how they portrayed the story and he defended the church saying that you know James Porter is just a, one of those bad apples hmm. so years went on more scandals arose slowly and as but in 2002 the Boston Globe published another story that really broke and really caught wave nationally when it comes to learning more about Boston and also learning more about our archdiocese and priests across the country. So in 2002, the Boston Globe published a news story regarding Reverend John Gagan's allegations of sexual assault. This report highlighted that, the, that this now defrocked priest had been moved around to a half a dozen parishes amid accusations of abusing over a hundred boys over 30 years. Additionally, this report illustrated that Cardinal Bernard Law knew about the allegations surrounding Gagan, and he was directly involved in his relocation of his assignments mm -hmm. um, once uh, he was spread out to different parishes yes really you talk about cardinal laws involvement in this and i think it's yes. really especially difficult when we see you know a cardinal the higher the higher you mm -hmm. get up in the church i think it's really difficult when you see their involvement in all of this in this abuse and it's not i mean in in their role and how they yeah. played i just that's really difficult to hear and to think about it is and so a year after this the story came out colonel Lobb resigned mm. and the ramifications of his departure um, not only left spiritual shambles within the many families that these priests, as well as himself, um, impacted, but they also left a lot of financial burden on the Archdiocese. The Archdiocese of Boston had to pay about $85 million to 552 victims of clergy sex abuse in 2003. I think it's just hearing this, you know, they paid for the, you know, the money will never undo what had happened to people affected by that abuse. And, you know, you can never forgive what had happened. So that's, you know, you hear they paid, oh my gosh, that's a lot for them to pay. But, you know, people affected by that abuse, they're never going to forget. And yeah. it really shapes their lives, I think. Yeah. Um Totally. It's all about, and the church's position has always been, historically, forgive the priests, because it's just a sin. You go to confession, and you tell the priest that, hey, this happened, and then it's, 
then the story is done and you don't say anything. Um, yeah, that really ties into how can we hold how can we hold those accountable in the church, right? I mean, priests need to be held accountable more than just forgiving their sins when it's a sin that's this uh, when it's this type of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I said, the archdiocese had to pay $85 million to 552 victims, and they had to pay $10 million in settlements for 50 previous lawsuits against Gagan. And at one point, the archdiocese thought they would have to file for bankruptcy. So what happened with Cardinal Bernard Law? He was reassigned to a convent in Maryland, where he was appointed in 2004 as the high priest of one of Rome's most prestigious churches, the Basilica of St. Mary Mayer. That just goes to say, like, how do we hold people accountable? He resigned, and, I mean, what happened? He just was reassigned? He was reassigned, and then he spent the remaining years of his life serving in Rome um, until he passed away in 2017. So he really wasn't so, held accountable. He wasn't held accountable. Much like Gagan, he was just reassigned mm. and told, you can't practice you know, your ministry. We're just mm-hmm. going to hold you here. We're going to monitor your your therapy. We're going to monitor everything. But clearly, there, as I reported and found, like there is no therapy and there is no accountability when, you just, when the church is, has this level of autonomy, has this level of being so intimate with people and especially youth without supervision Mm. it's really yeah i just want to add people might be thinking you know what is the point in bringing all this up why do we dive into these issues why do we discuss this and i think like i briefly mentioned earlier the importance of you know we really want to think about how do we engage the youth moving forward as the church but we can't move forward as a church until we've until we've really dived into and we've really thought about where we've been Mm -hmm. because we need to understand we need to understand these issues we need to understand that these things have happened in order to create a more peaceful world to create a more just world yeah in which we can better handle these issues yeah and And like like we said sorry like we said earlier just it's about understanding the context of the problem understanding what this problem is understanding the institutional and systematic structure of this and so talking about all these things and all these injustices that have happened within the catholic church patrick can you provide us some insight into what is being done around this and what has been done yeah yeah so obviously we the damage that these priests as well as thousands of more that have that the actions that they have done it's you can't really heal from that Mm -hmm. However, since these stories have been broken out, the awareness and the activism led by Catholics has just skyrocketed. So when we talk about institutional and systematic change, um, there's been a lot of grassroots movements that have been happening. A popular channel uh, for most lay activists as well as Catholics has been through this website called bishopaccountability.org. Um, this website provides news re- newspaper reports, updated church reports, Vatican documents, information from 
um, grand juries regarding hearings of priests or of um, related cases as well as other court documents so that's a, a channel that has been used um, in addition to bishopaccountability.org there are plenty of survivor organizations um, such as the survivors network of those abused or snap um, the voice of the faithful and coping international children of priests international so it's reached the, there's plenty of national organizations and national projects that are geared toward raising accountability and transparency as well as global organizations um, on top of the grassroots movements um, there's also been <clears throat> lots of um, movement and transparency when it comes to disclosing files and documents um, in 2004 for example shortly after the stories of Bernard Law and the stories that have come out about Boston priests arose um, the Los Angeles Superior Court resolved um, an issue between the archdiocese and the county of Los Angeles by holding 53 of the 285 documents requested by the district attorney um, and they additionally put the other documents as evidence so Los Angeles was able to win and able to secure and disclose all documents on priests after these stories have arose something that hasn't been done prior to that mo moment and in addition to Los Angeles also in 2004 um, the Archbishop um, uh, Archbishop Dolan ordered an audit to be conducted in search of past allegations of sexual abuse and through an agreement with the archdiocese and victims their personal files uh, of priests um, a majority of them were made public through the archdiocese website in 2013 mm. so slowly but surely um, there is a lot of transparency transparency and a lot of traction that has been made um, when it comes to grassroots movements and when it comes to states stepping up in the absence of a Vatican that hasn't quite yet and really needs to look at this issue critically and act urgently. Yeah, uh, it's great to hear. I think it's personally great to hear about all of this activism that you're sharing and hope around moving forward in repairing some of these wrongs that have been done around the sex abuse scandal. Mm -hmm. And how can we create, like we talked about, how can we move forward in engaging more people? And how can we create a more, you know, how can we create a more just world in the future? And how does that come from the Vatican? But so, like I said, it's great to hear about all that hope. And in thinking about, in thinking about the, the role of the Catholic Church and how, how the Catholic Church just as a whole provides hope, I just want to talk about a couple of things about where I personally see hope in the Catholic Church. And one of the places that I've seen hope in other areas is from the Vatican and, you know, Pope Francis. Pope Francis has come in and kind of, I think, breathed life into this church that really has needed it in a lot of ways. You know, he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But Pope Francis has done great in a lot of ways. And one of those things is, you know, one of the first uh, interviews Pope Francis did, he said, who am I to judge? Talking about uh, people who are homosexual in the church. And that has really been something that I've thought about. And, you know, 
he hasn't changed any of the writings in the catechism, but he has come out here and said, you know, trying to be more welcoming and trying to be looking in that way. And just kind of along the same way, I think of Father James Martin and the book Building a Bridge. I think it goes, it, it at least brings up the conversation of how can we be more welcoming to those in the LGBTQ plus community and how can those people really find a place in this church that maybe they haven't been welcomed in a long time. And so I also want to really briefly bring up this summer, there was that uh, couple Indiana schools, Braybrook Jesuit and Cathedral High School, they both fired homosexual teachers. Or no, they didn't. But they both had homosexual teachers. And the archdiocese told them both to fire their teachers. And Braybrook Jesuit said, no, we're not going to fire our teacher. And they really stood with their teacher. And I think that that is just really important to stand with those who, you know, to just respect and stand with others. It's just really a good movement of solidarity. And I think another thing to look at is it's a Jesuit school, right? And I think there's a lot of ways in which Jesuits have been kind of on the cutting edge and have kind of provided a hope for the church. You know, not in all ways, but I think that they have been a good place to look. And more recently, uh, the Vatican stepped in and, you know, Brebeuf Jesuit, the archdiocese, they lifted the Catholic name off, but the Vatican just uh, stepped in and for now they just put a temporary, they just temporarily held it so that they can be called the Catholic school while it's being more reviewed. So I think it's interesting to look at, you know, where is the Vatican stepping in in these issues, but where do they need to, where do they need to be more present? Mm -hmm. So that is really important. Now what I think what I'd like us both to think about is as Jesuit volunteers, how are we personally engaging in the church? But also, what do, all, what do all youth and what do all young people look for in the church? So, Patrick, do you have any... So, as we talked about, we talked about the past, we talked about the history of the church moving forward, and now we want to talk about moving forward. What do young people want? What are we looking for? Yeah, I, young people, I believe they want to see from the church, a church that is representative of them, we see, especially at the Vatican, like you talk a lot about the great words of Pope Francis, and Pope Francis is, um, compared to all of the other popes, um, you know, he has been the most progressive, and he's been really a great, a great speaker and a great preacher. Um, I still am waiting to see, just because I have wrote a lot about the clerical sex abuse issue within the United States and how that is manifested throughout the world, there needs to be a lot more um, than just the kind words of forgiveness and of the kind and of just giving prayers to the families. Um, the church has and still does disclose, not disclose, <clears throat> many of their laws that they have for priests who do have children. Um, they, there is this, there's a lot of structures when it comes to like um, celibacy, when it comes to canon law that is severe, that is very much just outdated. But I think what I see hope in is with these survivors and what I see hope in is with, um, stories like you just said about the Jesuits um, 
the Jesuits are very much about action and they're very much about a faith that does justice a faith that does justice um, so when I see what are young people looking for in the church they're looking for representation um, it is there's no excuse and there's I don't know why there isn't more women in leadership positions I don't know why there isn't more conversations when it comes to LGBTQ plus um, I don't know representation is really what I look for um, when I see that um, a couple so. things I look for in the church is building off what you said I think it's re what we really want is a church that's committed to being inclusive and I think like you said uh, there's a lot that needs to be done but like I shared before there's some places where we see hope mm -hmm. and I think as individuals you know what what can we do what we can do is work for it we can include people in the conversation mm -hmm. and we can work to be welcoming mm -hmm. and you know that's one of the things we're trying to do right now yeah. in our conversations is bring these issues forward and really have that conversation and another thing that I really value in a church is I value character right this idea of practicing what you preach and I think people are really kind of sick and tired of hypocrisy and uh, you know we talk about living out our values is really important mm -hmm. so having those values and really living them out mm -hmm. and yeah I think value and character is what I want in a church and I think it's what a lot of people you know yeah. value in a church so as promised last week we uh, are going to be doing the four values in, in four, four minutes. minutes all right we did some discernment we're, over... we're working on the like the name of uh, we got the name. We got. We're, we're, Justin we Timberlake, if you're out there, you can sponsor okay. us. Any well, we did that. some discernment over this, <laughs> and we decided instead of each having four minutes, we we need to work on sharing, don't we, Patrick? We do. We do. Yeah. So what we were going to do is we're going to work on sharing these four minutes between the two of us, mm -hmm. and we're going to kind of go back and forth and bounce off each other in discussing these four values. And like we said, we're just going to talk about the four values that have really hit home for us this week. So. Yeah. Yeah, so we uh, are not, aren't necessarily talking about all of the values, um, but just ones, one or two that really have impacted us and we have felt strongly this week. So for myself, I felt a community was a value that I've really experienced and was fleshed out this week. Um, this past weekend, we really got to meet our neighbors. Uh, we went over to get some food. There's this person right across from where we live who cooks and does a lot of great like Puerto Rican food. And so we got to talk with him and talk um, his, wife his wife. His wife is the one that cooks. About, yes. Uh, so just chatting with him and him being so welcoming uh, with uh, Billy and uh, and uh, a few of our housemates. A few of our housemates. Yeah. We brought the Mercy volunteers with us, and yeah. it was a really not great night of community bonding and yeah. going over to talk to them. And uh, it's a restaurant. They're called Jackie's Pinchos. Yeah. If you're in the and, area, just and Pinchos means shish kebabs, and they make delicious food. And yeah, bouncing off what you said, I think it's been a great week of building community with each other and with our housemates and like our neighbors living around us. Yeah. So awesome. A value that's really touched me this week has been uh, social justice and spirituality, kind of at the intersection of that, in mm -hmm. finishing this book I read. So I just want to share this. I read, I just finished this week, I finished this book called No Ashes in the Fire by Darnell Moore. And the subtitle is Coming of Age, Black and Free in America. And it's just this incredible story 
of life, of, like he says, coming of age. And it's his spiritual journey and it's his life journey of kind of being in many ways at the margins. And he talks about his, uh, you know, some different intersections of identity that really challenge him as he grows. And it's just an, it's a really good story that's challenged me. And it was just incredible finishing it. And so much of this book I've been sitting with, and I really recommend it to anybody that's interested, called No Ashes in the Fire. And it's one of those books I'm going to go back to, and I'm really going to have to sit and pray with. But I just want to share one quote that I read from it that has just been really inspiring to me and really has caused a lot of thought. So uh, this one quote, it's on page 221. It says, But so often love is reserved for those whose presence does not disrupt our comforts. So I've just really been thinking about, you know, who, hashtag JBC heart to heart. Mm-hmm. Who do I give my heart? Good plug. Good who plug. do I love? And, you know, am I staying in my comfort zone in that way? Yeah. So that's something that I've been thinking about. So I just finished yeah. that book. Pat, have you been reading any books? Are you a reader? Yeah, uh, I am a reader. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I read a lot of Captain Underpants. It's really great. No, I read, uh, I'm reading two books right now. I'm reading one called A Man Called Ove. Uh, which is is a more of a humorous book. Uh, it was based, recently made into a film. And then I'm also reading uh, very loosely and slowly uh, The Origins of the Urban Crisis, which talks a lot about urban planning and the history of development in the city of Detroit. So those are two books I've been tackling little by little. But yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah. With our... Uh with the whole conversation we had today, we want to think about how can we move forward and how can we continue to how can we continue to move forward as people, as people of faith, and just in any community that you're in. So this week, Patrick, what's the hashtag going to be? The hashtag is JBC moving forward. So, yeah, like Billy was saying, and like what we discussed in this podcast episode today, just if you have those moments or conversations about, you know, maybe it's at your workplace, or maybe it's with your friend, you know, how is it that you want to understand the context of maybe an issue that's going on? And what are the steps that you are taking and how are you and your partner or your community wanting to um, improve and be, just be a more loving and, or whatever improvement it means to you? How do you want that to see? How do we see? How do we acknowledge the past and how do we move forward with love and with grace and with all those wonderful things? Yeah. yeah. So um, I want to close out this episode with um, reading a mission statement from one of these uh, grassroots kind of survivor organizations that I briefly mentioned. And I want to share this in part of the hashtag and to just leave you off with the mission of you know, acknowledging and being accountable of yourself, accountable of the things that are going on in your life and having a hope and having an optimism of improving and of bettering your community and of bettering yourself. Um, So with that in mind, this is the mission statement from the Voice of the Faithful. To provide a prayerful voice, attentive to the Spirit, through which the faithful can actively participate in governance and guidance of the Catholic Church. Our goals?
to support survivors of clergy sexual abuse, to support priests of integrity, and to shape structural change within the Catholic Church. Thank you again for listening and tuning in to Jesuit Balcony Conversations. We want to be clear that our opinions are our own and not affiliated with the views of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and stay tuned for our next episode. Remember to use the hashtag JBC Moving Forward on all your social media platforms. Blessings! Peace!